Provoke podcast is brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, Marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy-to-use PR software. Get a free demo today at Notified.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Provoke Media podcast. I'm Maya Kavinska-Sims, the EMEA editor at Provoke Media. I'm here today on a very rainy summer solstice in London uh, with Martin Guerreria, Global Director of Kantar's annual Brand Z research into the world's top 100 most valuable brands. And Martin's here to talk to us about the results of the latest survey, which is just out today, launched just in time for Can Lions. Martin, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Maya. How are you? I'm Thanks. good, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a busy day, busy week ahead, but um, excited. Yeah, it's it's always um, well, we do lots of big bits of research ourselves, obviously as a media outlet, and it's always the the, the week that it all kind of gets published is always, just always feels huge, doesn't it? It's like you've been really absorbed by this massive project for for weeks and months on end. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we put so much preparation in. I always think um, launch week is the is the fun bit, it's the interesting bit when we get to talk about it to everyone else um, outside of the the Cantal Brand Z team. So yeah, that's why we're here today. Now, your Brand Z research is now in its sixteenth year, I believe. Um, so quietly, quietly, one of the the big bits of brand research in the global PR and um, PR and brand industry. Tell me about what the original idea was when this was all kicked off. Yeah, that's a good question. It's actually not a question we get asked very often, but um, I can correct you to start with because we actually started the study back in 1998. Um, And the reason for your slight confusion is because we started the brand valuations work 16 years ago. Uh, Brandsy is actually um, a huge database of consumer and B2B interviews, mainly B2C interviews, but increasingly we do B2B coverage too. Um, So in 98, basically, Kantar and WPP got together um, and decided to establish this database. Um, And really the point was to understand in depth the reasons why consumers and businesses make decisions um, around which brands they want to buy in different areas. Um, and, and the role of Brandsy was really to quantify that across different markets, across different categories, and allow all of us across the whole research industry, um, including our clients, obviously, to understand more about how those decisions are made, more about how to build great brands, um, and how to, from a, from a Kansar perspective, help our clients, and from a client perspective, help um, their businesses, basically. So what, what does the study entail? Um, so the study itself, we do um, lots of interviews, about 200,000 um, interviews every year in markets around the world. Um, and as I said, we're asking consumers and businesses around brands in certain categories. So um, some of our larger categories that are common across markets, we cover every year. So for example, we will cover automotive Um, in a good deal of markets, we'll cover banking in a good deal of markets. But the methodology we use enables us to basically cover um, any category where brands are on sale um, and interview um, consumers in those categories. So, you know, we've done some weird and wacky studies in the past for some of our clients for things like um, mosquito repellent. We've covered smart speakers recently. As I said, we've done more and more in the B2B tech space as well. 
And over the course of a, a 15 minute interview, we are asking um, consumers within that category who are category users, um, that's a key part, to tell us which brands they're aware of in that category. And then of those brands they're aware of, we ask them questions around usage, attitudes, um, their behavior. We apply a consistent framework across all of those interviews, across all of those categories. We do tailor um, some of our image statements. So for example, within soft drinks, we'll be asking you about taste superiority. Within automotive, we'll be asking you about handling, for example. Um, so there is some tailoring, but actually the, the survey itself is 90% consistent across all of those categories and markets, which enables us to um, look at and draw comparisons both within categories, but also across categories and markets, which is hugely valuable to us from a, an understanding perspective, but also that knowledge is, is clearly um, very valuable to our clients. So you know, if we're talking to um, Barclays as, as an example, it's easy for us to put Barclays um, in context versus other UK banks. It's easy for us to look at Barclays um, in other markets to local competitors um, in the US and, and well beyond, for example, but equally, we can look at Barclays' performance at a brand level um, and compare that to a brand from any category or any market. So depending on a particular brand strategy, it might be worthwhile looking at that brand's performance against um, brands from completely different markets or completely different categories. And that consistency of methodology allows us to draw those comparisons and, and draw those insights, basically. Wow. It's a, this is a real treasure trove of brand insight, isn't it, really? Um how has it evolved over the years? What big changes have you seen? Um, so, yes, in terms of methodology, so as you said up front, um, Maya, the, the valuation side of Brandsy has been running for 16 years. So we introduced the valuations piece in 2006. Um, and essentially what we do with the valuations work is we have a very skilled valuations team that works alongside my research team. Um, and their goal is basically to combine um, all of the wonderful consumer equity data that I just talked about with real world financials and come up with brand valuations. So um, as you said earlier, our, our global top 100 report for our top 100 most valuable brands is released today. And when you're looking at the dollar values in that report, um, that is giving you the dollar value of that intangible asset of brand that sits in the mind of consumers and businesses that is very difficult to quantify. We do that with this framework um, and literally put a dollar value on that intangible asset of brand, which is very useful, um, clearly for, for marketers to understand how is their brand value um, changing from year to year? Um, are they successfully seeing a, an ROI for the, for the investment they're making in their, in their marketing, basically? So from a methodological perspective, that was quite a big innovation back in 2006. And now, as you said, we have 16 years of brand value data um, for some of the world's most valuable brands. Um, we are able to draw all sorts of other insights around financial value um, alongside all of the brand equity insights that I mentioned earlier. And so what are the big headlines, Martin, this year? Um, yeah, the big, well, the, the main headline this year is the, the sheer volume of growth that we have seen. Um, we did look at the, the numbers a few times when they came through initially from our valuations team because we were really struck at the amount that the global top 100 has grown um, in value terms year on year. So in a typical year, um, we'd see something like uh, a 9% growth year on year in recent years. Um, this year, we've seen a 42% 
jump in growth. So that's more than four times um, what we would typically see. And that is actually our record year of growth since we started the global top 100 back in 2006. So I think that headline number um, and the, the amount that, that that 100 brands have grown this year is, is quite astonishing, really. That is, our, that is our main headline. And we're now, for the, for the top 100, we're looking at a total value, if you add them all together, of just over $7 trillion this year. Um, and to give you some context on that, that is equivalent to the total GDPs of France and Germany combined, which is quite incredible when you think about it for 100 brands. That's a lot of zeros, Martin. It is slightly different from my bank balance, unfortunately. <laughs> yes. it's, it is a lot of a lot of zeros, and we're actually the, the, so um, the, you know, two of the, the two largest brands on our list now. So Amazon is number one for the third year running. Um, Apple is uh, our number two, and those are the first two brands that are actually worth more than half a trillion US dollars in their own right. So each of them is worth more than half a trillion, which you know as a as a as a one off number, you know the mind boggles. They are huge numbers. Um, just for just for a single brand, basically. Yeah, I mean, there's there's that there's that saying, isn't there? If Amazon and Apple were countries, they would they they're not small countries. If you if you look at that in terms of GDP, they are absolute giant brands, aren't they? It's yeah, which we've we've never seen before, and they, as you said, they just keep growing and growing. It's astonishing how much uh, you know brand equity and power they have, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, that's certainly part of the, the growth story we've seen this year. I think a question we're being asked a lot is, you know, is all of this the result of the, the pandemic? And I think the answer is uh, yes and no. I know that's a slightly ambiguous answer, but let me tell you why. So I think the the reason that the growth we're seeing, the reason we're seeing this record level of growth is partly because of the way um, some economies have reacted to the pandemic. So the US, for example, have um, done a lot uh, in terms of economic stimulus packages um, that have been introduced by Congress um, and the US government, and that has served to prop up certain businesses in the US. So there has been that injection of, of, of cash, if you like. But I think also it's indicative of the, the uncertainty that we see in the world. And I think um, you know the investment community obviously is always looking for um, the best place to put their money to see a return on investment. And a lot of the usual places in the last 18 months have not been available um, or been much more unlikely to return a solid um, or, or to return solidly um, versus what they normally do. So where are investors now looking? They're looking at the, the next safe bets, if you like, um, and they're really starting to see some of the world's biggest brands um, and some brands with clear potential as, as safe bets in terms of returns. So I think, you know, the investment communities heads are being turned increasingly by the strength of some of these businesses and some of these brands and you know, the level of investment we're seeing from that community is definitely having an impact in some of these brand value increases that we're seeing as well. It's really interesting how much the landscape has changed and not necessarily in a way anyone would have predicted last March and April, isn't it? It's yeah, the, the difference between, I mean, we, we know from our own uh, various surveys of the PR size of the PR and comms industry, it, it, the, the level of shrinkage is like nowhere near what anyone was predicting. You know, growth is very strongly coming out of the traps again, especially in 2021 for businesses of all sizes. It's really interesting stuff. So tell me about which brands, I mean, obviously we talked about the ones at the top, but which brands would you count as the biggest success stories of, of 2021? Who's really shooting up through the ranks? 
Yeah, well, one of them certainly relink, uh, links to um, the, the, the piece we just talked about in terms of investor, um, where investors are seeing value. So um, just before I talk about that particular brand, the, the story is really interesting because it's showing us that uh, if we look at the, 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 the way that our top 100 portfolio has actually progressed um, since 2006, it's returning massively more than the likes of the S&P 500, the MSCI World Index over the same time period. So you were asking about the sort of headline earlier, and I think the headline is about growth, yes, but I think the headline is also about the extent to which strong brands are actually returning more and outperforming the stock market. So, you know, again, we're often asked by some of our clients, particularly CMOs, if we can help them make a case for investing in brands, um, perhaps to their CFOs. Um, and, you know, Brandsy data is definitely able to do that because we're seeing, as I said, that top 100 portfolio returning ever more versus the stock markets. And the difference in returns is explained by brand, basically. So mm -hmm. it's in itself um, is a very powerful insight and one that a lot of our clients find find very valuable. Um, going back to your question about the, the mystery brand I mentioned. So the fastest riser we've seen this year is Tesla. Um, and I think that does relate to the confidence that the investment community are having in the brand. Um, there's a few things that are coming together. Clearly, you know, technology um, and brands using technology sensibly um, and, you know, uh, getting ahead of the competition have, have definitely had an advantage in, in what we see this year. And some of those examples we'll talk about. Tesla's clearly ridden that wave in a, a fairly traditional sector and beginning to drag some of the big automotive players with it in terms of what they're looking to do. Um, electric vehicles and environmentally friendly vehicles. Um, Tesla's growth in the last 12 months um, in brand value terms is 275%, which is astonishing. Um, they are now our number one most valuable car brand. Um, and there's only one brand ever that has posted a higher year-on-year -year change in brand value um, than Tesla. So would you like to guess, Maya, what that is? Putting you on the spot, I know, sorry. Well, that is really putting me on the spot. I don't know, tell me. It was BlackBerry, actually. Um, so not a brand that's been particularly successful since then, but in 2009, um, I think it was around the time that um, Barack Obama was had just been elected or was just about to be elected in the US. Um, and he was seen on his BlackBerry quite a lot and got a lot of press attention. And there was a lot of PR generated for BlackBerry and a lot of interest. Um, so that was actually our fastest ever year-on-year -year riser. Um, but Tesla's now our second fastest year-on-year -year riser. And I think... Perhaps unlike BlackBerry, sadly, I think Tesla um, will yet go from strength to strength in this, this position. Yeah, I feel like Tesla's got more longevity in the brand. I kind of miss BlackBerrys. I'd forgotten all about them, but that keyboard is mm. really cool. It's, it's a shame that uh, <laughs> it didn't prevail, but that's really interesting. I would not have guessed that at all. Um, any sectors? I mean, it sounds like it sounds like tech is in all its facets. I mean, who isn't a tech company now? But it sounds like technology is is really is really coming through. Would that be the case? Is that would you say tech is one of the most successful sectors over the past year? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at our um, top ten, if I just rattle through it quickly, we've got Amazon as number one, then Apple, Google, Microsoft, Tencent, Facebook, Alibaba, Visa, McDonald's, and Mastercard. So many of those brands are tech brands. But even the ones that are not, if you take McDonald's as an example, I mean that's a brand that is certainly becoming ever more powered by tech. If you think of the screens in their restaurants, yeah. uh, ability to order online, your ability to connect with the likes of 
well, I was going to say just eat and deliver in the UK, but others around the world in terms of um, online ordering systems that are literally bringing McDonald's to your door now um, through the power of technology. So we're seeing, yes, you know, the tech brands, as we've talked about, have had a very successful year, but we're seeing practically any brand that's had a good year of growth um, is relying on tech to do that, particularly in, in, in this year of all years. Um, but we're not we're not seeing growth limited to, to tech and tech only brands. Um, a number of luxury brands have had a good year. Um, we're also seeing um, uh, the world of uh, fashion. Uh, so we, we call it apparel in our ranking, but fashion basically brands have had a good year too. And I think that again is, is reflective of the change, um, some of the changes that we're seeing in the way that we work. So clearly more of us are working from home, sort of the, the athleisure trend has certainly continued. Brands like Nike, Lululemon, Adidas, um, have all posted fantastic years of growth, Puma as well. Um, and that's partly, as I said, reflective of the way that people's lives are changing, people's needs are changing around um, around what they're wearing. So, you know, fashion brands have had a, have had a very good year too. On the luxury side, um, the, the two brands that stand out are Louis Vuitton um, and Gucci. Um, both of those have had fantastic years of growth. Um, Louis Vuitton in particular has made a real play um, in the realms of purpose, responsibility this year as well. Um, and that is adding value to their brand too. So yes, tech driven um, mostly, um, but there are some exceptions and a, and a huge number of, of sectors have had um, you know, much stronger growth than we perhaps all expected this year. Is that, um, I mean, you touched on the purpose and ESG thing, which we're talking about increasingly from a, from a comms and, and brand reputation perspective. Uh, within our publication, do you think that's something that you're going to see more of going forward as well as as being a, a, a an element of successful brand valuation? Yes, I mean, as you well know, I'm sure purpose is a term term that is thrown around a lot in the industry, mm. uh, and I think you know the way I think purpose needs to be defined, and the way that we define it um, in our brand Z work is around we we literally ask people which of these brands do you think makes people's lives better. Um, and we do see, when we look at the data, an increasing role, um, not just for, for that purpose statement, but we also ask statements around the responsibility credentials of brands. And over the course of the last 10 years, when we look at the data, we see brands that are deemed to be uh, responsible um, being, being purchased more. I don't think at the moment we're seeing, or we're not seeing that responsibility is the number one driver or perceptions of responsibility being the number one driver of choice, but there's no doubt it is a bigger driver of choice than it was 10 years ago. So, you know, for brands, there's a lot of care needed in this space, clearly. Um, you know, brands should really ask themselves, is this the right thing to be talking about? Is this how we want to differentiate our brand? Or is it something that we need to do and address as an increasing hygiene factor, um, but not necessarily need to shout about? Um, you know, these are all decisions that, that CMOs around the world will need to make. I mean, our advice really would be, um, you know, by all means, talk about these things if you can talk about them credibly and if um, you can use them as, as key differentiators for your brand. Um, you know, the worst thing to do would be to be quiet and then be sort of exposed. Um, but you could argue that it, it could be even worse to, to talk about these things um, pitching for credibility and actually be exposed as, um, you know, doing doing things that are contrary for, to, to what you're saying. So it is, a, it is a very fine line to tread. But as I said, um, in, in the data, at least, the, the, the influence of some of these issues is, is certainly increasing. It's, it is such a fine line between talking with 
uh, you know, authentically and with credibility. And then the accusations of purpose washing and greenwashing, which nobody wants attached to their brand. Of course, it's um, that it is a tricky one. And I know lots of brands and their leaders are, 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 and their comms advisors are, are trying to figure that one out at the moment. It's like, do we want to be in that conversation? Don't we? And, you know, when you look at wh whether that could affect your your brand valuation positively or negatively it's uh you know that is that is a kind of mission critical isn't it really getting that one right um tell me about sectors that are maybe kind of going down the rankings are there any that are, are struggling a bit more than they used to be um i think overall as i said it's been a pretty positive year within the top 100 itself i think in terms of categories that are perhaps not up by as much on the whole um, food and beverages has, has been up as a, as a group of 20 brands by around 12% year on year, um, which is a, you know, a reasonable growth level, but not as high as some of the others. Um, I'm just trying to think about others. I mean, fast food as well. I mean, 20% growth year on year, again, is, is big. And there are some exceptions at a, at a brand level, but um, that number is clearly behind the 42% overall growth that I talked about for the top 100 um, so, you know, on the whole, I think it is very positive news for brands. You know, practically every big shift that we've seen has been a positive one. Um, I mean, the sort of world of banking has, has, has had exceptions along the way. Um, so I think the sort of financial world perhaps hasn't performed as well in this year's report as it may have done previously. But there are some obvious reasons for that um, in terms of the, the way the world's changed, the way the economy has been impacted in, in the last 12 months. I don't think that's a big surprise. Um, like we said, you know, it's more about the success of, of some of the tech companies. I mean, some of the tech companies we've not talked about, um, you know, TikTok is a really interesting one. Um, the, the brand's value has, has grown by around 150% year on year, which is clearly you know, a major, major increase. Um, and I think, you know, the way the world is changing around us, um, the way that sort of pace of technological innovation is accelerating um, you know, we're seeing brands like TikTok that has just you know, it's not been around for very long at all, has, has, has become hugely valuable in a very short time frame. So, um, you know, that's literally the $64 million question. Where is the, where is the next TikTok or, or TikTok-like brand going to come from? Because it, it may already be with us uh, and it may be a brand that's about to accelerate very, very quickly. Might be in that top hundred next year, Martin. We never. Know. It, well, I mean, it could well be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, TikTok wasn't. Um, I think it was a new entry last year, um, and before that, was nowhere near the top one hundred. And then, very, very quickly, it's, it's accelerated to our number forty-five this year. So, you know, it's, it's it's quite incredible when you think about it. And that's really um, by you know conquering China to an extent, but there's still lots of global growth potential with a brand like TikTok, which is clearly starting to catch on in um, in other markets as well. I feel like my kids might be like solely responsible for that rise in TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I should say I'm not claiming to understand the, the appeal of TikTok personally necessarily. But um, yeah, I think uh, I think that that is an audience that, um, you know, TikTok certainly appeals to. And we did we did some work on on the brand that's in this year's report. And um, there was a stat in there. I think we worked out that around I think it was 60 percent of the total population of China is is regularly on TikTok. And um you know, when you think of the size of the Chinese population, that is a monumental number. Um, but clearly, you know, if you were to, to, to take that number and look at, you know, the 18 to 35s, it would be practically 100%. So, um, you know, it's, it's a brand that's achieved huge penetration very quickly, but it's done that through the strength of its offer. It's all about um, having fun. And I think in the last 12 months, last 18 months, you know, that has become an increasing need for people and combine that with lockdowns and the, the, the sort of tech restriction as well. And the, the forcing us towards tech brands almost, 
um, it's been the perfect storm for growth for that brand. So it'll be interesting to see if they can continue that upward trajectory um, in the next few years. It really will be. And, you know, we talked a bit about China there. Are there any big geographical differences? I mean, it, it sounds like most of the big brands are the, the big value is still coming out of the States, but China and uh, China must be coming up uh, sharply behind that. And it looks like Europe, uh, the valuation of European brands seems to be dipping a bit at the proportion of the top 100. Is that correct? Yeah, no, that's fair. So if we look at um, the, the top 100, at least, it is still it's becoming actually increasingly US dominated. So we've got 56 um, US brands in the top 100 um, in total. Um, and if we look at the, the total values of the US and Chinese brands together, they account for nearly 90% of the total top 100 value. So 88% over um, and as you say, we're seeing you know, one of the key trends we've seen this year is that the number of Chinese brands in the ranking is now outnumbering European brands overall. Um, so we've now got 18 Chinese brands in the ranking overall, which is a much bigger number um, than it was a few years ago. I mean, some of them I mentioned already. We talked about TikTok a second ago um, within the top 10. I mentioned Tencent and Alibaba as well. Um, but there's a there's a number of others across a whole range of sectors. Um, Didi Chuxing is one um, that's uh, in the style of, of just eating Deliveroo in terms of home delivery, but delivers a lot more than, than just food. Um, an interesting trend we've seen in China as well is um, a brand, um, uh, uh, it's basically an alcohol brand called Mu Tai. Um, and there's a certain type of Chinese white spirits called Baiju. Um, and Mu Tai is the leading brand in that space. Um, and it's basically very, very premium um, alcohol. So a bottle of of Mu Tai can cost you anywhere from, um, you know, three, four hundred pounds up to a few thousand pounds easily. Um, and, you know, that sector has absolutely exploded in China in the last 12 months as people have had, um, you know, more money accumulating because they're able to spend less out on the streets. It's been a way of, of, of treating um, friends and family in that sector has really taken off. So, again, you know, we're seeing again that the, the top 100 itself is almost a reflection of some of the trends that we're seeing um, globally. But yeah, certainly um, not great news for Europe this year versus China and the US. But as I said, there's been some European success stories too. So Louis Vuitton and Gucci, I mentioned, um, we've had Spotify break into the ranking as one of our newcomers this year. Uh, so we've now got two Swedish brands in the ranking alongside IKEA. Um, and I think Spotify is another really good example of um, the way that, um, you know, our, our habits have changed. You know, we're looking increasingly for, you know, convenience and ease, um, things to um, perhaps help pass the time over the last 18 months. Um, and the way that Spotify has, has been able to pivot from a fantastic selection of music to investing more and more in developing their own podcasts, for example, um, has been a, a way that they've managed to find further growth in their subscription services um, and have added huge value to their business as well. Amazing. I've just I've just looked up Mutai because I hadn't actually heard of it at all. I mean, there's no reason why I should, but that is that is pricey booze. Goodness. Yes, it is. Uh, it is very expensive. I mean, something that, that I mean, I've, I've never sampled any myself, unfortunately. But if you do look at um, at the at the bottles on Google Images, um, you know, there's some beautiful bottles, and they are you know, it's really seen as a a way to treat your um, your host. Um, by bringing that into the house and um, you know for, for, for corporate businesses for, for you know high earners generally um, it, it's a sector that's really taken off and um, a very interesting sort of category but also brand within that category. 
Yeah, I'm slightly worried my usual bottle of Rioja is not going to cut it going forward. Sounds <laughs> a thing over here. Um, other than the astonishing growth during a pandemic year, any other big surprises for you guys as you looked at the results of the research this year? Um, yes, I think the, the growth obviously was a surprise. I think, you know, the other thing I'd say, we talked about TikTok, but the, the amount of value that can be added in a relatively short space of time. Um, and I think, you know, another brand that reflects that is, is Zoom. Um, you know, we're having a conversation on Zoom now. Um, I think, you know, 18 months ago, would either of us have been aware of Zoom necessarily? Probably not. Um, and yet here we have Zoom, new entrance into the global top 100 this year. So, you know, I think there's two things there. One is, again, we're seeing this, this report and this group of brands as reflective of, of the way the world is changing, but also um, if you have the right proposition, um, you know, and circumstances change to, to facilitate that proposition being more useful, then it is possible to add massive value very, very quickly. Um, you know, Zoom has competitors, obviously. Um, if we look at our equity data pre-pandemic, it was already in a good position, but hadn't quite reached that tipping point. And yet, as soon as circumstances changed and everyone had that need to connect online, some of the other offerings out there were clearly um, exposed as perhaps not optimal. Um, so with the right offer, Zoom was able to take advantage of that very quickly. So, you know, that's a, a trend that we've been surprised by the extent to which brands are able to grow. Um, I think the switch to e-commerce has obviously continued a pace as well. So, you know, Amazon clearly is our number one brand has had a fantastic year in that area. But generally speaking, if we look at other e-commerce brands as a group, so I'm thinking Amazon, eBay, the likes of JD.com and um, Alibaba to an extent in China as well, again, some of the more traditional retailers, we do see big differences in value growth. Um, partly, that was partly a trend we were beginning to see anyway. But again, that's something that's just been absolutely exacerbated by the pandemic. And, you know, again, um, perhaps the more traditional retailers with an online offer, those that you know, really had not invested enough in their online capabilities pre-pandemic were absolutely exposed. Um, so, you know, I think it just shows, you know, we're, we're well past the stage, I think, where, um, you know, it's, it's, it's optional for retailers to have an online component. Um, it's now just an absolute given. It's a total hygiene factor for, um, for, for consumers everywhere. They expect online delivery excellence from, um, from, from all of their retailers, basically. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's it, it's been an increasingly um, uh, increasingly obvious how the pandemic's really changed the shape of retail, isn't it? And with all that in mind, well, obviously some of this is to do with uh, business strategy and businesses having to react to the times that we are living in. But what would you be your key takeaways for specifically for public relations and communications advisors and practitioners? You know, maybe talking to their uh, their, their directors talking to their clients from from this um, report. What 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 do you think they can take away from it? Well, I think, like I said up front, I think the number one takeaway for anyone within the marketing industry is the role of um, building great brands, building great equity. You know, as I said, we're often asked, you know, how can we make a case for for, for investing in marketing? And I think. You know, this set of results makes that case loud and clear. Those businesses that own strong brands have been in a much better position to ride out um, economic difficulties um, and, and come through them. Um, so it offers resilience, it offers pace of recovery, but also generally, regardless of, of difficult times, businesses with strong brands grow at a, at a faster rate. So I think investing in marketing is absolutely um, the key insight. 
Um, something else we did this year was a huge piece of analytics work using a big tranche of our database, looking at what were really the key things that drive brand growth um, for consumers and businesses. And we found what we call the, the, the four fundamentals actually account for 70% of, of decision-making. So they are um, delivering a great experience through all brand touch points. Um, exposure was the second. So, you know, we talk about, um, you know, in the press, it, there's been lots of debate around whether, you know, now is the time to have sort of um, dialed down marketing support or dialed it up or maintained it. Certainly our findings suggest that exposure are, or exposure is really important versus your competitors to, to enable growth. So brands like Domino's in the ranking, for example, took the opportunity to actually invest more over the course of the last 18 months. They've had a bigger share of voice as a result um, and have grown um, in spite of the problems of the last 18 months. Um, and then functionality is the third area. So that is all about you know, delivering on your promises, delivering um, a better product than your peers. A brand like um, SAP from the B2B world is a great example of that, a fantastic product portfolio that ticks lots of boxes for their clients from a quality perspective. And then a trend I mentioned earlier, so the fourth area of the fundamentals is convenience. Uh, and you know, I think we're now, you know, again, partly as a result of the pandemic, but we're now in a society where convenience is just expected. People will default to the most convenient option. So you know, in the ranking, we've got brands like Spotify, talked about Amazon, you know, Zoom, Microsoft, all of those have just become a, a almost autom even more of an automatic part of our lives um, over the course of the last year because of that automatic convenience they offer us. They're brands we now use um, automatically without conscious thought because they deliver um, on particular needs really well. Um, and then on top of that, so I talked about that being sort of 70% of um, decision making, the other 30% comes through differentiation. So again, this, um, this work revealed um, some common areas. I mean, to an extent, by definition, delivering difference, you do that differently from sector to sector and from brand to brand. But um, the data did suggest some areas of um, consistency where brands have successfully differentiated themselves. So one area is um, being seen to be a leader and a disruptor. So brands like IBM, Ikea, JD.com do that really well. Um, responsibility, we talked about um, a bit earlier, Maya, as well. So, you know, within that, we're talking about perceptions of sustainability, um, ethical practice, or being seen to behave ethically to both um, your suppliers, you know, your staff, um, and the environment at large is, is definitely becoming more important. And that is a way to differentiate if you can do it authentically, as I said earlier. Um, and then finally, the area of expertise. Um, so coming across as an expert in a particular area is a way that helps persuade consumers and businesses to be willing to pay more for your particular service. So if you think of brands like um, Pampers, like Nike, like Huawei, um, within their particular areas of expertise, those are brands that command a price premium through um, projecting that expertise for consumers. So um, I think if you put together those, those fundamentals that I talked about, experience, exposure, functionality, and convenience, you add that dash of differentiation on top in an area that makes sense within your sector, that is a way to, to deliver um, the best possible um, outcome for your consumers, which ultimately will deliver the best possible outcome for your businesses. And you know, ultimately the way to deliver all of that um, is through your through your marketing strategy and investing in marketing. Tell me how you want to take, just finally, is, is there anything you want to do next year with the brand Z research? How do you take it forward? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, yeah, like I said, this year has been a particularly comprehensive year, as you can tell from my last answer, in terms of how we really mined the database to learn as much as we possibly can about um, the world of brands and marketing. And I just think, you know, the next 12 months will be equally fascinating to see how, you know, the world of consumer behaviour and the world of brands continues to evolve um, sort of, I hesitate to say post-pandemic just yet, but sort of mid to post-pandemic. So, you know, we'll, we'll certainly be repeating some of this work next year in terms of the analytics to see how things continue to evolve. Um, but we're always looking for, you know, brands and businesses that are growing in value to make sure that we can build that into our coverage so that we can have the depth of understanding about, you know, the next Zoom or the next TikTok. Um, because, you know, our work is not just about highlighting that, oh, hey, this brand's really valuable, um, or that brand has a really high share price or brand value. Um, it's about really understanding the why behind that. We can't understand the why if we haven't gone out there and talked to consumers. I mean, ultimately, you know, myself and, and yourself, Maya, uh, we are um, consumers and, and all your listeners are consumers as well, whatever our profession. So ultimately to understand what drives value, we need to understand um, what consumers think and feel and how they behave. And that's what we, um, that's what we strive to do. So we're always looking for the next brand, the next interesting category to make sure our coverage is as complete as possible. Um, so we can keep learning and we can help our clients to keep learning and, and being successful ultimately. Excellent stuff. Martin, thank you so much. I really appreciate you um, giving us such a comprehensive uh, walk through the results of the 2021 Cantar Brand Z um, study. Really interesting findings there that will be of use for anyone in the, in the marketing and comms industry, I'm sure. And so thank you very much for joining us. Thanks a lot for the opportunity. Um, yeah, hope to come back next year and, um, and discuss the, the next set of results. Absolutely. Let's do that today. In real life, hopefully. Yes, maybe even in real life. That would be nice. You have been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, Marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy to use PR software. Get a free demo today at notified.com.